You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Hi. Hello, Adrian. Our inbox has received an infusion of love. Oh, I like that, an infusion of love. Spoiler alert, it's a positive email. Great. Well, we're only reading the good ones. Yeah, we probably are not going to read. I would never read a bad one. Hate mail. I air my dirty laundry enough. I would never openly read an email that said anything negative about me. But also, it would be an impossible email to write. Because what negative things are there to say about me? Well, I certainly can't think of any. That's the right answer, Dingman. Read that email. We did receive a very lovely email from a listener named... Leslie? This is my first time hearing it. Sam's been, like, withholding it from me the way I sometimes withhold sex. Go on. (laughs) That's an interesting way for you to couch this, uh, because that sort of comes up in the email. You'll see what I mean. (laughs) Did I talk about sex too much? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, Okay, Leslie writes, and by the way, if any of you would like to do what Leslie did, and we thank you very much, Leslie, you can do that. We love you, Leslie. FFG at WALT.FM. Leslie says, hi there. I just wanted to write in and let you know that I've been listening to Family Ghosts for a while. Much appreciated, Leslie. When I heard you promote this new podcast, I had no idea what I was in for. Having never seen a single episode of Six Feet Under, I started listening to episode one of the podcast and immediately stopped, realizing it was somewhat of a follow-along podcast. So out of curiosity, I started watching Six Feet Under. Thanks to the podcast, Six Feet Under has a new fan. I absolutely love it. I'm currently on episode seven. I listen to your podcast after I watch. I will be sad when I catch up because, because although I'm choosing to, I'll have to wait until your next episode gets published before I can watch the next episode of the show Aww. so I can listen slash follow along. I just want to pause right here to say Ugh. I... My heart is warmed. I'm legitimately grateful to have had the opportunity to play any role, Leslie, in introducing you to Six Feet Under. I think the world is a better place when more people watch that show. Mm-hmm. And I think it is so cool that you're enjoying it. Absolutely. I have to say, when we decided to start Fisher Family Ghosts, I I don't know. I just had this idea. It's been 20 years since Six Feet Under came out, of we, as we have talked about extensively on the show. I thought it might just organically be a, a time when people were revisiting it and that it would be cool to be a part of that conversation. I hadn't really considered the fact that some people might be checking it out for the first time. Really? And... You're sitting next to someone who is checking it out for the first time. Well, I know, but I thought that... But that's by force and lowered rent. Yes. And I thought that was a fun gimmick to play with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Little did I know that the gimmick would become... I. It's basically like I've never seen the show before because I have such a bad memory of everything. But that's <laughs> beside the point. What's my middle name? Margaret. Okay, good. All right, good. Anyway, Leslie... I'm so thrilled that the show has brought you to Six Feet Under. If that is true of anyone else out there, (gasps) we would love to know about it. And I'm very curious to know from you, Leslie, what it's like watching Six Feet Under through 2021 eyes for the first time. Because I know that's been a big part of what's come up for Adrian Mm -hmm. as we have been making our way through. Mm -hmm. Leslie continues. She says, even though you two remind me of Ruth's cousin and her daughter, y'all are just a little too cute sometimes. (laughs) Fair. What? Her daughter. Do- okay. <laughs> mm, all right. I 
I don't really think we have any meaningful pushback against that. That's fair. I, Leslie continues, I'm enjoying the discussions and deep diving into the meaning of everything. I especially liked when your mom was on. Aww. She gave a different perspective and spoke about some things I hadn't noticed or even considered relevant. Thank you for saying so, Leslie. Yeah. I loved having my mom on because I love talking to my mom about creative things. Um, as I think I talked about on one episode, I feel very much like whatever taste I have in anything creative comes from her. Can I say something actually really quick from a conversation I had with her recently that I can't stop thinking about? Sure. She was talking about some visual art show she went to virtually. And she said that she didn't like it because the whole thing, this is a quote. She said, the whole thing for me is the mark of the hand. And you can't experience the mark of the hand virtually. <sighs> That's just one of those little Claudia nuggets. That's good, Claudia. That she doesn't even think about it when she says it. And now whenever I watch or listen to or read anything, I'm looking for the mark of the hand <sighs> in whatever equivalent form that is. Ugh, that's poetry right for there. For the medium. She doesn't even think about these things. Well, she does think about it, but she doesn't think that her own thoughts are sagacious. Overall, I just want to say, this is Leslie again. Overall, I just want to say thank you for starting this podcast because it's forced me to finally watch this amazing show. Longtime listener, first time emailer, Leslie. Ah! Oh, she also said... <laughs> P.S. My husband watched every season of Dexter, so we knew who David was right away. Leslie, thank you so much for writing. Delightful. It's always cool to feel like something as rich as Six Feet Under is, as a narrative. That that, that richness can translate to people who are experiencing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that it's not just a nostalgic memory for me because of who I was and what I was looking for at the time I saw it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thrilled to know, Leslie, that you're finding it resonant. Absolutely. What, Adrian, a lovely way to begin the recording session for our conversation about season one, episode 12, <gasps> the penultimate, penultimate episode of season one. Delightful. I'm gay. Why didn't you ever tell me? I am telling you. Before, before. Don't you trust me? What do you mean, I'm telling you? But I've tried to discuss it with you several times. Look, I just wasn't comfortable, okay? What does it matter now? Why not? When I was clearly trying to be open. You know, Mom, you may be trying to be open now. And that's great, but that's not how you've been for all my life. You and Dad, no one talked about anything. None of us are like that, except Nate. And that's just because he has no other way to distinguish himself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, we have so much to talk about. Yes, we do. What the fuck was this episode? There was a lot. So much happened. There was a lot that transpired. This was feeling city. There oh, were this, this episode was this, feeling city? This episode, I feel like more so. I think also because there was just like, such palpable anger, but we'll get there. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay, so let's start with, at the beginning, a very good place to start. The person who passes. Hold on, wait. Before we even get to that, 
you said something during the opening credits. Oh, I did? You said, do you think the theme song is intended to suggest the ticking of a clock? Oh, yeah. I just kind of had that. Because in the beginning, there's this like, it's it's more like a metronome. Mm-hmm. It's more of a metronome. I want to listen to it again because I've never thought of it before. But mm-hmm. I think that there is something a little bit like, time is a ticking. I just wanted don't to. Don't think you have all of it. I just wanted to name the fact that you said that because I think it's very perceptive and I hadn't thought about it before. Oh, thank you. Okay, now say what you were going to say. Can you just keep making eye contact? Um, no, we're okay. going to make Leslie mad. So, I know. Sorry, <laughs> Leslie. This one was really upsetting and not for the typical, like, sadness someone has died. It's basically a hate crime. This kid gets the life beat out of him, literally. And so... So much of this episode, I felt like, was very violent. And I also am really, like, like just, like, very emotionally violent. Like, a lot of anger, a lot of crying out of, like, frustration. And I guess I just didn't really realize that, like, this show is such a megaphone for gay rights. You know, like... At a time when that was, that was like, a less easy thing to do than it is now. I'm not saying it's easy to do now. Totally. But it was harder in 2001. Totally. And at this point, I cannot speak because I am not queer, but I am an ally that it is much more normalized in the media. Like, people are very celebrated for it. So, but like 2001... Like, that, I guess I just didn't realize that this show probably really propelled the conversation and really made it, because there's a lot of really hard conversations in this episode. But another thing I think is this show also shows gay male joy. Yeah, it does. A lot. Yeah, it does. We see... Before, really, we get into any homophobic plot developments. That's totally true. A lot of what we see early on is David and Keith being very like, loving and affectionate with each other. Yeah. I know but I think that David's still closeted and everything. I know it's not complete, but the choice to depict it at all was much more loaded back then. Probably. And the choice to depict it in a way that wasn't tragedizing it. Also feels significant. Totally. Like, we have a lot of shots of David and Keith, like, going grocery shopping, cuddling in bed, about to make love in the same way that a hetero couple would be portrayed. So that alone is amazing. I think we do, we obviously struggle with David's sexuality with him. But this is, like, the, this is the episode where all of that comes to a head. And that's also because, like, he comes out to Ruth that is an incredible scene. I think also I was a little like taken aback by, I think David, he obviously chooses to do this death because he knows that he needs to emotionally work out some things. Has that, you know, interdimensional conversation with the dead. Which we hadn't seen for hadn't seen a few episodes. That is like, I will say on a creative standpoint, I think that is the like, suspension of reality that I enjoy the most when we go into the psyche of the characters. I I love that. And it works 
particularly well for David because so much of the show is about the difference between David's inner life and his outer life. Yeah. So when we see these conversations he's having with himself, which I think in this episode, it's illustrated more clearly than it has been in anyone previously. Definitely. How much the dead people that he's talking to are manifestations of his own anxieties. Absolutely. And this one was a demon. Like, this was a demon anxiety that he was, like, really working through because the kid is saying all of this stuff about, like, God hates you. And I'm doomed. We're going to hell. You're doomed. We're all going to hell. And then, like, you see the people. Pr- I, I think I had, like, kind of forgotten that people would go to funerals and protest. It was just so hard to be out back then. And even now, it's not, like, it's not roses and sunshine, but, like, I don't know. I'm just, like, really feeling it. I think there has been a big difference in my life between the conversations I have about Six Feet Under with, and I'm generalizing, but the conversations I have about Six Feet Under with straight people and gay men in particular. Mm-hmm. And I have this sense, anecdotally, based on those conversations, that this show was important to them on a level... Hmm. that you and I could not possibly understand. Absolutely. And that's not to say it was the only show that ever did this or whatever. But as we talked about, there was a certain level of prestige associated with HBO at the time as there is now. But back then, there was no, there weren't really any competitors to HBO. Hmm. Big, serious, televised, dramatic art was sort of like the exclusive provenance of HBO and to have them choose this particular story and have it be told as boldly as it is, I think probably was a really big deal. And if you're listening to this and you are gay and we are getting it wrong, please let us know. Or if you're not gay and you still think we're getting it wrong, obviously please (laughs) tell us. Um, I'm, and I'm just speaking from my own anecdotal experience from a, a handful of conversations that I've had about this show with gay men. Yeah. And I just think it's it's remarkable, particularly because, like, I remember roughly around the same time Queer as Folk was a show. Queer as Fo- I think Queer as Folk was on Showtime. And L Word, I believe, was a thing. Um, but those shows... In my memory, Queer as Folk and The L Word were marketed very openly as, or people talked about them anyway, as like, those are gay shows. Those are shows about gayness. Totally. And I don't remember that happening with Six Feet Under. I don't think Six Feet Under was pitched or, I think Six Feet Under was seen as a drama, part of which happened to be a very nuanced and serious consideration of what it's like to be a closeted funeral director. Right. And that's even that's even more remarkable. One thing I was thinking about just as we were talking about this is this is 2001. That's still 3 years before George W. Bush ran for re-election. And a huge part of that presidential campaign was gay marriage whether John Kerry was going to come out in support of it. This was like a big... I forgot about all of the politicians who were like, so tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. Do we say it? Are we going to... Do we say it? Are we going to... And so I don't know. That entire mainstream cultural battle hadn't even happened yet when this was on. 
Right, right, right. I'm not saying the fight was well, not already happening. Totally. And there were people doing really important work to change the fact that anyone would even want to have a conversation about whether or not gay marriage should be legal. But totally. I just mean before it became as vi- visible enough to be a central issue in a presidential campaign. Totally. We were still three years away. Well, I think that what this show does so well is that it talks about it without it being like, oh my God, they're gay. And like making a big hullabaloo out of it. It's like, these are, this is how people process this. And it does take up like a considerable amount of their life, but it's not their whole life. I just think that like the way that the show is balanced just is in itself trying to normalize being gay. I don't know if I said that super eloquently, but like I think that what the show is trying to do is like normalize it and show this is a character who's going through this and this is kind of one of the experiences that can happen. And unfortunately, there's like a lot of hate around it, a lot of self-hate, a lot of in this episode, we saw a lot of external hate. I fucking loved that David went and like hit that dude and then Keith was like there for it. So that's what I I that's what I kind of think is happening is that the writers also want to normalize it by not making it exclusively about it's not the David show. It's about the whole family. But so what I thought was really interesting was all the different responses to not only David coming out, but like the funeral in general is like we did see a lot of people who were who were very like loving and doing the vigil, but then like fucking Rico, what the what? That blew my mind. That blew my mind that too. Blew my mind. I did not. Th- I thought he was gonna be like, I'm sorry, dude, but the fact that he kind of like defended it and was like, men do that. We don't talk about it. But I appreciated that. I mean, I don't obviously like that Rico said that on a human level. No. But I think that is such a testament to how serious the show is and has gotten as the first season has gone on about making Rico a real, fully actualized character. absolutely. And not just somebody whose story exists in service of the rest of the plot. Because one of the things... Absolutely. This is a a little bit off topic of what we're talking about, but something I wanted to bring up last week that I feel like was underscored this week is over the course of the whole first season, we have seen Rico be pretty callous when he's talking about the dead people at the funeral home. Totally. He will kind of make jokes about how they look. He does it in this episode. um, And... Hmm. He'll mostly, when he's looking at the body, make comments to himself about what a good job he did on the reconstruction. Yeah. But in the previous episode, that all melts away when it's about a child. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he... Oh, I, yeah, I loved that. ...actually takes it seriously for the first time that we have seen. And I thought it was telling that in this one, he's right back to his old tricks of just making jokes and making light of the way the body looks. Right, but then I think with that moment with, David that gave us such an insight into his psyche you know like not only of it gave us an insight of I am very much a product of my culture because he says like where I come from and I just thought that was really well written like I think that as a character that is how Rico would respond 
which is not great. As a plot device, I thought it was interesting tension because now I'm like, Rico has already, we can, I think we can say that like, Rico does not love David. Like he's like, all right, he's a guy who I work for. He likes working for Nate. He probably liked working for um, Nathaniel Sr. But like Rico and David are not going to be, you know, like sipping margaritas on a beach somewhere. No, probably not. Probably not. So the fact that there's now this like, oh, here's another reason for me to not like you, other than you being like a really stiff boss. I don't know. I think that that adds really interesting plot tension or at least development between these two characters. And in in contrast to that, we see the relationship between David and Ruth really soften. A bit. A bit. A bit. Although I did think it was interesting... We talked last week about how kind of nakedly homophobic it was when Ruth sprayed the hose yes. at the guy who was leaving David's room. And in a, in an eerie way, I feel like that was a little bit laying the groundwork for the more naked homophobia that we saw yeah. in this one. And I think they... I don't think they're necessarily... I, I, it's not that Ruth is homophobic... Mm-hmm. But she she clearly seems to, I didn't necessarily, I guess, feel like the show did a good job of building a bridge between the Ruth that would spray a hose at this guy and the Ruth who, in the telling of this episode, is just trying what? to understand. I disagree. I think that when she was talking to, what is the other florist's name? Robbie. Okay, Robbie. So... I think when she's talking to Robbie, she is trying to have this moment of like, okay, how do I navigate this right now? I think that was the bridge. Because she even does like, she's like, oh my God, it sounds like Robbie's very withholding. So she's like, I'll tell you something really mortifying about me. I think that that was her softening a little bit. I do too, but I felt like her decision to talk to Robbie about that was such an obvious act of determined love for David. She was, she's, she just felt so bound and determined that she needed to have this conversation and she was going to find a way right. to do it. And I, I loved that. But the hose scene in the previous episode was so, there was so much anger yeah. in it. So much like rejection of what she imagined yeah. David to be. And, I didn't feel that that w- there wasn't continuity in this episode with that version of Ruth. And hmm. maybe I'm reading into it too much. Maybe they didn't Probably intend are. for the hose scene to come across that aggressive, but it was so aggressive. Yeah. Well, because it's like you're dirty, go clean yourself. Yeah. And I don't, in this episode, the, at least the way it's presented, it's not that Ruth thinks there's anything wrong with it. She just wishes David would have said something. Totally. And she's worried that he's not living in a safe way. She's worried he's not taking care of himself, she says. Yeah, I do think that David alludes that he knows that his mom and dad would not have been, like, super approving because of, like... And correct me if my memory's not right on this, but, like, he talks about how... I think he says something along the lines of, like, you might not have handled this when I was, like younger or something or like like that wasn't the household 
Like, it doesn't sound like they grew up in a very, like, queer-friendly house. So I might have read that wrong. Well, I think... Because he was like, I see you contorting or, like, just loving the part of me that you want to love. You know, so I think that David doesn't think that she's going to be fully accepting. I guess I took it more as that they grew up in a house where there was a lot of silence. Right. And not talking. And and maybe it's, I mean, the indication in this episode is that that's part of the problem. Because the father of the boy who is killed, he also can't even say totally the word, he can't even say the word gay or whatever the word he's looking for, which his wife points out to him when they are there for the intake meeting. That was the other theme that I was going to point out is like, there was a lot of hesitation. There was a lot of like withholding what you really want to say in this episode. And then there's a lot of saying exactly what the fuck you want to say, which I think Billy very much says what he wants to say. Throughout yes. the whole episode. I also just love how, like, Keith keeps coming back. <laughs> I love Keith. The only other thing I wanted to add to this is, to your point, David says, I th- my father would have hated me if he knew, or he would have hated it if he knew. And it feels like the argument the show is making is that a lot of parents of a certain generation thought, if we just don't talk about it, yeah. I'm not being hateful. Mm. So how could anybody think less of me? Mm. And that that in and of itself is an act of violence because it teaches shame. Totally. And it's not good enough to just think that it think that you can avoid it. And that sometimes if a kid is growing up in a world where they are taught to feel shame about something that is integral to who they are. It takes, it takes a parent stepping up even more than they might think they needed to. Yeah. And not just, which David definitely didn't get, which he did not get. And Claire says earlier in the episode, her shadow is death and silence. And, the, the silence of the house over the course of the first season, the desire on Ruth's part to protect them from things mm-hmm. instead of make an attempt to connect with them, which she is starting to do now. Yeah. The, the wages of that are, are becoming more and more clear. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Oh, another thing I thought was interesting in this episode is there were a lot of callbacks to previous episodes. So we find out that Claire wrote a short story about a girl who can explode heads. Oh, yeah. And we have already seen her imagine that she herself has the power to do that. Right. And David is back to talking to the dead, and Marcus Jr. in this one calls him Jim. Yeah, wait, what was the Jim thing? Jim is his alias when he is cruising for (sighs) anonymous liaisons those hot lips of los angeles and then i also liked um when nate is trying to get in touch with brenda and she's not picking up the phone he says don't just lie there and say fuck you i know which is something we have seen her do yeah before 
it, it just, those were like little examples of the show kind of rewarding you for paying close attention to totally the uh, nuances of these characters. And you also be rewarded too. <laughs> um, and then even within this episode, there's a really nice callback where Nate says to Ruth, whose fault is that mm-hmm. about his dating choices? And then at the end of the episode, Ruth says that to David about her not really knowing David. But I just like that it's, at this point, it seems like the show is gaining a confidence in its own voice and presentation. Yeah. And then sharing that with us. Yeah. Okay, we have to talk about Billy. Yeah. Because Billy really takes it to the next level. Everything gets taken to the next level in this episode. Yeah. I started freaking out when Nathaniel, I was like really confused when he goes into the elevator shaft and I was like, oh, that my first thought was like, that's not, e- that doesn't look easy to get out of. When I saw Claire 2021, I thought we were back in the, in like, kind of like the high house in like the first episode, like when we really meet Claire and like, oh, right, the right. Crystal meth. And I was like, what? I don't understand. Why is there a photo of Claire? And so now my question is, so then it's like a series of photos with Billy and Claire. And now my question is like, do you think that Billy made out with Claire just so he could maybe have something against Nathaniel Jr. in the future? Yes, I do. That definitely plays out. I think he on some level thought to himself I don't I don't know if he necessarily knew this is what he was going to use it for. Totally. But I think even that early on, there was some part of him that was th- that wanted to invade Nate's relationship with his sister in the same way that he felt his relationship with his Ugh. sister was being invaded. Totally. That was a good pull. It was a good tie together. So I got really freaked out. That was a fucking weird move. And also just like kind of shows us what level, like what extremes his mania pushes him to yes um and, and that's even before he shows up at brenda's house having oh, sliced God. his tattoo off <laughs> i don't like it um but i definitely think that like the box cutter is is also very like foreshadowing because it's like what if if a gun is seen in the first act it has to go off by the third Right. So I was like, oh no, where is that going to come back? Where's I did think that Nate played it really cool. Well, I, th- I to agree. Because I was like, actually, how is he going to get out? There's like an elevator shaft. It's not like he can run down the door, run down the stairs, you know? I thought this was maybe the most extreme example yet of the recurring theme that we talk about of Nate somehow intuitively knowing yeah. how to meet people where they are. Yeah. And in this moment where his own life has been placed in danger, yeah, he realizes what Billy needs to hear to calm down. Yeah. And there's self-interest in it as well because he wants to get out of there. <laughs> in one piece. But he very consciously does not escalate. I know. He oh. chooses to, you know, Billy gets in his face and is clearly trying to provoke a big reaction of some kind. Yeah. And Nate makes the choice to just try to leave. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an interesting contrast with David in that funeral scene where when David is, someone gets in David's face and he does erupt. Yeah. 
Not saying one is better or worse than the other, but... I loved that moment. I just felt like... I don't know if that looked good on a professional sense, but if I was that mother, I would have been like, I hired the right people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If I was mm-hmm. the mother of the son, I would have been like, I, I hired the right people. Yeah. So anyways, that's like kind of going back. That's also, I think also what is a little foreshadowing of like that very pinnacle scene is is the like there's no way to get out because like when Brenda tries to escape, the door is locked. Oh my God, that scene like gives me heart palpitations. Um, also, I'm very team Brenda. I know Adrian episode one is like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, it's Adrian episodes like one through five. One through like seven. I was like, well, I don't know about this lady. I'm full. And I don't think it's because like, I think it's because we really have seen her what makes her most vulnerable and like the weight that she has been bearing. And like, I don't think it's great that she shuts Nate out. I do think that they are really good for each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I think that I don't think they're like an A plus amazing relationship. <laughs> like the one we're in. That was for you, Leslie. Wrong <laughs> um, house. So, Brenda, at her best, is so playful and so creative, and I think that when it doesn't beca- when it doesn't get a little too extreme, like Nate really loves that, and he really loves the light that she brings to him, and I think that she kind of like checks his. He's a little pie in the sky sometimes. Well, you something know? something you're making me think about that I hadn't thought about before is in a way they both have the same skill of being able to read people. Yes. They just use it in very different ways. Yes. Brenda uses it as a way of knowing exactly what manipulative buttons to push to get a response out of them Yeah. that exposes them for who they are or helps them see something that she thinks they need to work on. Yeah. And Nate has a way of disarming people yeah. by doing it. But it it's two sides of the same coin in a way. Yeah. Okay, so while we're talking about an ability to read people, mm-hmm. what do you make of Claire's therapist? Yo, I don't know. I was thinking about that. I think that he is weirdly using... I mean, like, what he's doing, just 101, like, is very typical therapist things. Like... Oh, tell me more about that. Like, little, very quiet. Sometimes I'm amazed when I hear my therapist's voice, you know, because I'm just, bring, like, I just go and free associate for, like, 45 minutes. Do you ever feel like sometimes in therapy they're thinking, you are making my job so easy right oh, now? Oh, my therapist has definitively told me I'm one of her easiest patients. <laughs> I'm not making I'm not making that up. She's always like, you always come Full circle, you always come back to where you're supposed to be. You always solve it on your own. I'm like, thank you. I just need to talk it out. <laughs> Ugh, thank you, Farrah, if you're listening to this. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, 101, he's a fine therapist. And he's also, like, working with teens. So it's not, you know, like, Claire's father has passed. That is a tra- tragedy. But she hasn't experienced any extreme trauma. She's just a very awkward teenager, which, guess what? We all were. Ugh, I'm so happy in my 30s. Um, I don't think that he's, like, working any 
crazy magic. And he's just like really giving her the space to like talk things out and share things that she's never been able to before. And I do think that like, ironically, he uses silence to pull more out of her, which is the thing that she's afraid of or associate sadness, sadness with silence. Mm, that's interesting. Very interesting. I think that's very like, mm, yeah. I really like, I loved the scenes with him in this episode. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting. I may have talked about this once before, but it is a real switch from, I think it's a, it's a little bit of sloppiness on the part of the show that the first time we meet that therapist, he is kind of rushing out of their appointment and not super invested uh, yeah. in the dynamic between Claire and Ruth. And now he seems to be very deeply focused and engaged with Claire. And maybe the idea is that, you know, he can see that Claire needs some real help. So he's really focusing on it. But it seemed like the idea they were going for at first with him is that he's not very engaged with his work. And now it seems like he does take it really seriously. I also thought it was really interesting. The yeah, I guess it's a hard pivot. The scene where he comes out and he sees Gabe laying in Claire's lap. That was just interesting to me because that's the kind of, and that that then finds its way into their therapeutic relationship. I just found that interesting because that is the kind of dynamic with a therapist you could kind of only have in a high school environment. Totally. Because day to day, I mean, obviously now nobody's seeing their therapist out in the world because nobody's seeing anybody out in the world. But back when we could do that, you know, walking around New York City, it's not like you're going to bump into your therapist and they're going to see you behaving in a way that they then say... I couldn't help but notice that you are having a relationship I didn't know about. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, if Farah met you in the real world, world, she'd be like, Adrian, abort ship. <laughs> <laughs> he needs what a haircut. are you doing? You look great. Would Does, you stop talking about Billy? I guess we kind of did. I don't... How I, do you feel about him literally carving into his skin? I took it as him trying to... There's obviously... Obviously, Billy's situation is extraordinarily complicated. Yes. But it does seem like at least part of what he's dealing with is a very significant amount of self-loathing. Yeah. And so I took the fact that he tried to remove his own tattoo as in some way him trying to cut the bad part out of himself, cut Ooh, the, gross, gross, gross. the part of himself out that he yeah. wishes was not there yeah this is a heartbreaking episode it really is but there is a little bit of love in it my girl claire my girl claire she got red hair she got red hair she's she's got orange hair smells like tangerine something like that i'm not a rapper i wouldn't give gabe (laughs) full credit for that either but he's it that was very i loved that because that was the first moment where we saw gabe be gabe be openly affectionate and just like adoring her a couple episodes ago we were talking about do claire and gabe have anything in common and in this episode claire says gabe is just an extreme version of me yeah which i don't know if i totally followed her logic on that but i do feel like they are both people like in this episode we see claire have to really goad gabe into saying what he's really feeling. Yeah. Just like her therapist has to really make her feel like it's safe to just go ahead and say what she wants to say. Yeah. Because she's about to say it and then she says, never mind, I'm just being a freak or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
so I think that is something that they have in common is the the silence and denial of intimacy, parental intimacy that they both grew up with yeah. has has had similar effects on both of them and and they're really finding a release for that in each other. I'm very glad that it's like come full circle for them. And that Gla- Gabe Glabe. <laughs> and then that Gabe is a good getting That's close. their couple name, Glabe. Glabe. Oh yeah. It should be Clabe. Clabe. Because she's 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 really running things. Yeah. Claire's running the show. Wait, I love Clabe. That's so funny. <laughs> Hashtag Clabe. Tweet Hashtag about it. Hashtag Clabe. We'll make t shirts. With the fern leaves on either side of their head from the Exactly. Hearse. Last thing. Mm-hmm. In the midst of the episode, you asked me to write down open versus closed caskets. Yo, I just think it's so interesting, like, when Nathaniel and David are offering that to people, they're always like, open casket, open casket. I just am kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's just, it's like you're already grieving. Why do you want to see that person? Why do you want to see them passed away? But then I do understand that, like, oh, my God. You see them dead and you see them inanimate. And you get it. And then you have to kind of move on. You then get to close the casket and like really move on. Oh, God. I feel like I just watched you go on a whole emotional journey. That's what my therapist says. I can't imagine a better button Mm -hmm. for this episode than that. Thank you. Thanks, guys. For listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. God, I want to know what you guys think about this episode. We were spirited this week on the issues and may have spoken inelegantly. Please let us know. Our brand is speaking inelegantly, really, but Mm -hmm. perhaps more so this week than ever. Please let us know if we didn't get something right. FFG at WALT.FM. Thank you, Leslie, for writing. Thanks, Leslie. And thank you all so much for listening. If you are enjoying this show... We, if you want to be Leslie, <laughs> <laughs> we humbly and have your name shouted out throughout the episode. Yes, send us a note, and we beseech you, please write a review in Apple Podcasts. Please. It makes such a difference in helping other people find our work. Now, speaking of our and work, we gush over you. Over, we gush about you over dinner. Yes, we do. We do. Um, speaking of our work, Adrian. What does that phrase mean to you? What does that phrase mean to me? That means that I have another podcast. And it's called Strangers Abroad. It is a little different than this one. It is a narrative travel podcast, which is how I got into audio. And I share my own stories and I interview other people. We talk about traveling and how emotionally intense it really is and the kind of journey that you go through internally as you explore the external world just go to apple podcasts stitcher spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and just type in strangers abroad and feel free to email me about any travel related ideas that you have when you're done listening to adrian's podcast i invite you to then search for family ghosts in the podcast app of your choosing where you can listen to non-fictional stories, most of them are non-fictional, about a lot of the themes that were raised in this very episode. Growing up in a house where it felt like no one talked about anything and there were things that needed to be talked about, that's basically what every single episode of Family Ghosts (laughs) is about. We are in the midst of our fourth season and releasing new episodes every other week, and I hope you will 
check them out. Check it out. What? 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 What's it all about? All right, we're gonna go sing to each other in the car. Okay. Bye. Bye.